Good morning. If you would please turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. We'll look at the first 14 verses of Romans 14 today. It's always good to get together. I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, It's good to be reminded of how we're to live, how we're to trust God during these times. Obviously, on the front of your bulletin, it says we're to rest in Jesus, hope in God, and pursue love. And as Dan mentioned in his prayer, one of the challenging things in loving one another is in the area of uh, what we might call disputable matters or issues that we disagree over in various ways. And especially when you live in a culture that has what you call um, cancel culture or canceling going on, it's easy for us to maybe uh, breathe in the air that's around us. And part of that air that's around us is the idea that if someone has a different opinion that's offensive to you, uh, that you can, in a sense, cancel them. At least you can cancel them on social media, I guess. I'm not sure exactly what that does. But at least you make a public statement that, in a sense, you're Xing them out. And you're not going to support them. You're not going to follow them. You're not going to endorse them any longer. Uh, Whereas you may have bought their music before, you might have supported them in some way. Now you're not going to do that because you don't like an opinion that they expressed yesterday or 20 years ago. Either way. And so that's where we find ourselves. There are people like J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, who express some agreement with a Scottish researcher who said men cannot change into women. And when she supported that statement, she got canceled. As a result, she and about 152 other people signed this open letter in Harper's Magazine that basically said, we want to cancel cancel culture. Uh, We don't want cancel culture because it suppresses free speech and it's just not right. And in that open letter, they said, it is now all too common to hear calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. Well, the reality is cancel culture is nothing new because for centuries people have been writing other people off for various reasons. And you can actually see that reflected in Romans 14 because Paul is writing to a church that had some issues that they disagreed over. And it was very tempting to them to X people out, cross people off, write people off because they disagreed. And so I want to use this passage to help us think through some of the things that we're dealing with during this time as well, because there's not only division outside the church, there's division inside the church. And passages like these are helpful in terms of giving us some principles to use as we think about these what we might call disputable or debatable issues. So let me read these first 14 verses of Romans 14. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. 
Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all, excuse me, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This is the word of God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we should respond to the pandemic and the protests. We talked about the importance of supporting our government and supporting law enforcement. We talked about the crucial need of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, because that's the ultimate answer. But we also talked about the need to submit our lives and our definitions of love to the word of God. That um, love is not determined by whether or not people feel loved. Love is not determined by whether or not people think they're being loved. Love is determined by whether or not the Bible tells us this is the loving thing to do or not. Whether or not God commands it. It's obedience to God. Obedience to God is always loving. And loving always requires obedience to God. They, they go hand in hand. But one of the things I didn't get to, and you may have, may have noticed it in your notes, was this very issue of, well, what if we disagree on how to love in certain situations? And so that's what I want to pick up with today. You'll notice in verse 1, he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The phrase passing judgment on his opinions is actually two words. And it's translated different ways in different translations. Uh, in the ESV, it says uh, not to quarrel over opinions. In the New King James, it says not to dis- dispute over doubtful things. Another version says don't argue about doubtful issues. And then the NIV says without quarreling over disputable matters. And so basically the first verse is saying don't just welcome people into your fellowship so that you can try and make them just like you. And all their opinions, all their perspectives, all their uh, issues are all the issues of life. Many years ago, we went through this passage 
um, and talked about things like education, homeschooling versus private school versus public school, which is a disputable matter, uh, entertainment choices, music choices, whether you know certain beats in music were right or wrong. We talked about uh, youth ministries and whether or not youth ministries were wrong and And so there were all kinds of issues that we talked about then that were disputable matters within the church. And we try to apply what Paul had to say to those kinds of issues. You may notice in this passage, he doesn't talk about youth ministries or music choices, but he does talk about eating meat versus not eating eating meat. Verse one or verse two, rather, he says, one person has faith that he may eat all things, including meat, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So it's talking about the freedom to eat meat, and there were there were religious issues tied to the issue of eating meat. It wasn't just a health issue type thing. And then in verse uh, 21, he talks about, he spells it out a little more clearly. I didn't read that verse, but it goes on to say, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So he adds the drinking of wine as a disputable matter among Christians. So the eating of meat, drinking of wine was disputable in that day and time. Then there was also the issue of celebrating certain days. And so if you look in verse 5, he says, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. And so there were issues over whether or not Christians ought to observe certain days, probably certain days uh, that related to the Jewish calendar. And things like that. And so there were debatable issues. For us, in this pandemic, there are issues like um, staying home, shutting down, social distancing, wearing masks or not wearing masks, meeting for church or not meeting for church. Those have all become disputable, debatable issues in the larger society and within the church as well. And they're disputable on different levels. Uh, there are disputes in the medical community. There are disputes r- with regard to economists. There are disputes with regard to what the Bible does or does not say we should or shouldn't do. And there are disputes legally on what is appropriate or what isn't appropriate, what the uh, governor has authority to, to do and what he doesn't have authority to do. So you've got all those kinds of disputable matters and arguments going on. Well, just briefly, I'd like to highlight three things that we can find in this passage that helps us think through this as Christians, especially as we interact with each other. First of all, we obviously need to distinguish between moral issues and non-moral issues. You may remember the father in um, Fiddler on the Roof. Things are changing in Russia. He has daughters that are wanting to get married. And they're wanting to get married in ways that are non-traditional. And so he has one daughter that wants to marry a tailor. And he has this argument with himself on the one hand, on the other hand. And he comes to the place of saying, okay, you can marry him. has another daughter that wants to marry an idealistic revolutionary type guy. And he does the same thing on the one hand. On the other hand, has this argument with himself. And then he agrees. But he gets to this uh, third daughter who wants to marry a Gentile. And he begins wrestling with that because that would mean her marrying outside the faith. And he says, how can I turn my back on my faith, my people? If I try and bend that far, I'll break. Then he says, on the other hand, no, there is no other hand. 
And what does that have to do with commands that are moral or non-moral? On the one hand, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. On the other hand, no, there is no other hand. You don't argue with that command. There are some things that are just right and wrong. And there's no one hand or the other hand. Those are moral issues. The Ten Commandments, you don't negotiate the Ten Commandments. You don't negotiate the clear commandments of God's word. And so there are some things that aren't debatable. There are some things that aren't disputable, even though they might be disputed in our culture. And they might be disputed by certain churches. But in terms of the word of God, uh, a moral issue is an issue of right and wrong as defined by the clear teaching of God's word. And that's why Matthew 28 says, we're to teach disciples to observe all that God commanded us, all that Jesus commanded us. And Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 7:19, what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God as Christians. That's not legalism, that's obedience to our Lord. And so um, that is an important thing for us. A non-moral issue is something that falls outside of that. It's something that isn't um, explicitly commanded or forbidden in the word of God. And an illustration of this kind of thing is, for instance, in Mark 7, where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they complain about the disciples and say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And Jesus' response is this. He says, this people honors me with their lips. Or actually, he starts before that and says, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And so basically what he's saying is, you're trying to make a commandment of men a commandment of God. Whether or not my disciples wash their hands in a ritualistic fashion like you do is a non-moral issue. If you want to do that, fine, but don't impose it on everyone else um, because it's not a command of God. And so there are issues that fall outside of God's commands that are issues we need to be convinced in our own minds. Um, But a non-moral issue can become a moral issue for an individual not for everyone, if that person believes it's wrong. If you believe it's wrong and morally wrong for you not to wash your hands a certain way before you eat, then you ought to do it, because otherwise you sin against God. Uh, That's what Paul says in verse 14 when he says, um, to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so... um, The questions we have to ask in this regard are, is blank, whatever that disputable matter is, or whatever the matter is, first of all, is blank a moral issue? Does it fall into a category of God's clear command, or is it something that falls outside of that? If it's not a clear command, um, then it's something that we all have to decide decide upon as individuals. What about... um, If we ask the question, isn't this thing we're talking about, just fill in the blank, a moral issue if the government tells us to do it or not to do it? And what we've been arguing over the last several weeks is it is a moral issue if the government has the authority to command that. 
Because God does not give the, the government the authority to com- command anything and everything. And even our own government was set up in such a way that it says that we are to be submission, uh, in submission, even in authority, to things like our constitution and state constitutions. That we are not just ruled by men, we're ruled by law. We're a government of a, a rule of law. And so all those things factor into how we determine whether or not things like that might be moral issues. We might also ask the question, shouldn't we do this particular thing anyway if it seems helpful and might make other people feel better, even if we have questions about it? And I think in many situations, yes, we ought to be considerate of others and be willing to do things that we don't necessarily feel like we need to do. Um, But obviously there are some issues where um, the things that are involved transcend simply those one-on-one interactions, which is why we're doing what we're doing here. And there's a lot more I can say about this, but I only have 30 minutes, so I'm just going to have to try and be as succinct as I can. Um, So the first thing is we do have to distinguish between what is moral, what God requires, and what God doesn't require, what is non-moral. Secondly... We need to exercise our freedom with a necessary restraint. I think I've talked to you before about experiments they run on peer pressure. And there was this one uh, with teenagers in which there were 10 teenagers brought into a room and they showed them a card that had different length lines on it. And they asked the uh, students in the room to vote on which line was the longest. Nine of the students were already prepped ahead of time to vote for the second longest line. The tenth student had to look around and decide whether or not he was going to go rogue and actually vote for the line that was actually the longest. And 75% of the time, whether it was with small children or high school children, the lone ranger went with the group, even though they were voting for what was really the second longest line, not the longest line. The pressure to conform, no matter what your position is on an issue, is great. And this very uh, passage is arguing that that's not faithfulness to God, just giving in to pressure. Our allegiance is to Christ. Now, we may come to different conclusions about what that allegiance means, but that is our allegiance, is to Christ. And that should be the basis for our decision. And so that's why uh, my first point under this larger point is that our freedom needs to be preserved. Paul says in verse 5, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, not looking around saying, what are other people doing? And I'm talking about disputable matters, not moral issues. Um, He says in verse 22, if you read on further into the chapter, he says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. So he's emphasizing there is a very um, real issue of personal freedom that needs to be maintained, that we just don't lightly give that up. But when should we exercise restraint? When should we give up that freedom. It's when we would actually lead someone to sin against their own conscience or that we or we would do something that would miscommunicate the gospel. He says in verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this or judge this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling
block in a brother's way. The obstacle, uh, the word obstacle is the picture of a stick in a trap where you're entrapping someone. It, it's a not negative cause and effects re- relationship. You're setting into motion um, some events because of what you're doing. You're moving someone towards sin. You're actually encouraging them to sin against their own conscience. And that's what the stumbling block idea means. It's an occasion for a moral fall. It's an occasion on which you're actually doing what you're doing to convince someone to go against their conscience. You can eat that meat. It's okay. I'm sure that that God doesn't care. Well, that person still believes God does care. And if we're making those kinds of encouragements, we're doing the wrong thing. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, you'll get a lot more commentary on all that Paul is saying in Romans 14. I don't don't have time to read all of it, um, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, he highlights the fact that when he talks about causing someone to stumble uh, or offending someone, he's not talking about um, having a disagreement. He's talking about leading them into sin so that they are destroyed. Like it says in um, verse um, 15, do not destroy with your food for him for whom Christ died. Or in verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. He's not talking about simple disagreements between believers. He's talking about destroying someone spiritually by leading them to sin against their own conscience. That's what's going on. And he explains that in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 8. Now, there is the issue of what about how what we do affects uh, what people think about the gospel. And that's been one of the things that has often been brought up. And if you read 1 Corinthians 9, you can, you can see where Paul says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. So he talks about... Uh, keeping the law in certain ways when he's with Jewish people and not keeping the law when he's around Gentiles as he's trying to minister the gospel. And basically he argues that, I, that I'm willing to make some adjustments for the sake of the gospel. And we might ask ourselves, well, what, what does that mean? Does that mean he was afraid of doing certain things because it might be a bad witness? That people would see him doing something they didn't like and then they... Um, would criticize him or criticize the gospel. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because in the first century, you know what the, the opinion was of the populace for the most part? Uh, Tacitus, a, a Jewish, uh, excuse me, a Roman historian, said they were infamous for their abominations. Uh, he called the Christian religion a destructive superstition. He said they were convicted, the Christians in Rome were convicted for the hatred of the human race. They lived their life in such a way that people looked around at them and said they hate humanity. But that did not result in them changing how they lived. And so if we simply ask the question, will someone dislike this and therefore not be open to the gospel, That's not the right question to ask because if you're living like a Christian, you're going to displease a lot of people. And so it's not simply the question, will this displease unbelievers and therefore hinder the gospel? The issue is, will I somehow through what I'm doing distort the gospel and cause them to think the gospel is something different than it really is? Like Peter, when he would not eat 
with the Gentiles, but only ate with the Jews, the Jewish Christians. And Paul rebuked him publicly for distorting the gospel by what he was doing. That's the real issue. Now, obviously, sinful behavior also distorts the gospel. If it's truly sin, if God says, don't do that, and we do it, yes, that's a distortion of the gospel too. But when we're talking about disputable issues, the issue is whether or not it actually leads someone into sin against their own conscience and whether it actually uh, confuses what the gospel is all about. Um, And so when we ask questions like, Does the issue of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask uh, confuse the gospel? I don't think so. Does the issue of meeting for church or not meeting for church confuse the gospel? I don't think so. There are differences of opinion on those things, and some people have argued that we we should or shouldn't do certain things because of that. I don't really think that's what Paul is talking about, because there are so many things in the first century that people looked at those Christians and said, wow, you just hate people, don't you? You won't worship our gods. You won't honor our emperor. And so that's the way I'm looking at this. And this is how I'm understanding what Paul is saying here. Um, Obviously, um, there are questions we need to ask ourselves. And I think I've already touched on that in different ways. And you can see that in your notes. But one of the other questions is, just to highlight, um, it's not simply about offending people. Because um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? So he says, people may not like what I'm doing, but if I'm exercising my freedom appropriately, then um, I should not be bound by someone else's conscience. Unless I'm going, unless I'm trying to lead them to violate their own conscience, that would be his argument. In fact, they came to Jesus one time in Matthew 15, and his disciples said, "Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement?" He made a statement; they were offended, and Jesus' response was, "Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone." So he didn't say, "Yeah, go back and try and smooth that over." Um, he said what was right, he did what was right, he did what was right and wise, he loved people and sometimes they were offended. And he said That's, that isn't something we can manage because otherwise we have to back off from what we believe is the right and wise thing to do according to the word of God. And there is some difference of opinion on that, but that is the way we're, we're to operate. All of us are to say, okay, what do I believe is the right and wise thing to do in obedience to my Lord. That has to be the question, not simply how people are responding to it. Even though we do care how people respond, we, we're not indifferent to that. But if it moves us away from our allegiance to Christ, then that's where the problem comes in. Well, um, the last point, I'll have to make this um, brief, is check your heart toward those you disagree with. You may have um, heard about the uh, California couple in San Diego who was in the dog, dog park. And they were eating their lunch, and they didn't have their mask on. And an older lady came up with her mask on and began challenging them that they did, weren't wearing a mask and that they were eating inside the dog park when there wasn't supposed to be food in the dog park. And evidently she left, the older lady left and came back and got a can of mace and sprayed it in the face of the husband. 
Now, the wife filmed this, and um, she comments on that video that she posted saying, that is me crying hysterically in the background because my innocent husband just got maced for no reason. The reality is he wasn't maced for no reason. In that woman's mind, there was a very clear reason why he was maced. In her mind, she must have thought this man and this woman is a clear and present danger to me and other people. And they're being so unloving that I'm going to punish them for what they're doing. We have to be careful of that. Even within the church, we can, we can think, I just think that is such an unloving thing to do. Therefore, I'm going to punish them because their, their perspective on this disputable matter is different than mine. And that's really the heart of what Paul is saying here, saying you guys are, are uh, really at each other's throats on some of these things in certain ways. And it's wrong because you're, you're denying the good news of, of your acceptance in Christ. In verse 1, you see where he says, uh, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. And then in verse 3, For God has accepted him. Later on in chapter 15, he kind of wraps up this whole section where he says, Therefore accept one another as, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The word accept means grant access to one's heart, to take into friendship, to welcome. And he's saying that disputable matters can divide us as Christians, and we have to guard our own hearts in light of that. Um, Because he's arguing, for instance, in verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So if the one that's eating meat looks at the vegetarian and says, wow, I can't believe you're being so um, restrictive in your diet, um, Paul says don't look down on those who we believe are unnecessarily limited. You're limiting yourself and you don't need to. He says... Don't look down on people. Don't hold them in contempt. Uh, the word contempt means to make of no account, to despise utterly. Um, he goes on to say in that same verse, the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. If you're the vegetarian, don't look at the one who's eating meat and saying, that's wrong and you're sinning against God and you should, you're to be condemned for that. Um, that's what the word judge means. It means to pronounce judgment as an accord. It means to express condemnation or serious disapproval on that person. And so we might condemn someone who we believe is irresponsibly free. You're being irresponsibly free to eat that meat. And we have a hard time with that. Or we see the other person who we think is being, is being unnecessarily limited in what they're doing. And we respond wrongly to that. And we can certainly see those dynamics in our society and we can see them in our church, churches across our land. And we have to fight that. We have to fight anything that rises up within us along those lines because um, we're to live to please God uh, in these matters. That's why it says in verse 10, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God Then in verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And so if I look at people I think are being irresponsibly free, I have to ask myself, in my heart, am I judging and condemning them? If I look at people that I think are being unnecessarily limited or restricted 
in what they're doing? Do I hold them in content and look down on them because they're doing things that they don't need to do? Uh, Paul would say, guard your heart. Um, Watch over your heart. If that's happening in your heart, confess it. Ask God to forgive you and grant you grace to be gracious, to accept one another wherever we may be on this continuum, to seek to welcome wholeheartedly those who disagree with us. The reality is we're, we're never going to be able to please everyone. We're always going to disagree on certain issues. And I'll just close with, with this. There was an old fable of an elderly man who was traveling with a donkey and a boy. And they were walking, both walking with a donkey, and they began to get criticism because um, the old man uh, wasn't taking advantage of the donkey. So the old man starts to ride the donkey. They come to another town and they begin to get criticism because the old man is making the little boy walk. And so he puts the little boy on the donkey. He starts walking. Then he goes to another town. They criticize him or criticize the little boy for making the old man walk. And they say, well, why don't both of you ride? So both of them ride the donkey and they go to another uh, village and they start criticizing them because they're being so rough on the donkey by riding on the donkey, the both of them. And so finally, at the end of the story, the man is carrying the donkey (laughs) along the road. And the point of the story is we can't please everybody. And if we try, we'll end up carrying a very, very heavy burden. Very, very heavy burden. So God wants us to live to please him, to be sensitive to others, to accommodate others as much as we can, but to be fully convinced in our own minds about these kinds of issues. And may God help us to do that, uh, trusting in a Savior who saves us from our sin and our failure to do it perfectly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would help us to to see where we are in all of this and help us, Lord, to repent where we need to, um, to trust you in the ways we need to, to love in the ways we need to, to be sensitive and considerate of others and willing to accommodate and serve in all the ways that we can, and yet also to be willing to allow others to come to their own conclusions to make up their own minds on various issues that are disputable and debatable and help us to grow in love. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen.